be reading from Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I therefore, a prisoner of, for the Lord, urge you to walk in the manner worthy of calling, to which you have called with all humanity and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Be seated. Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 17, where we're going to be at today. Uh, there is today is Life Group Sunday, so if you uh, uh, Life Groups will be meeting afterwards, and if you do not have a, a group to participate with, you can see Rob Robinson. Um, where's Rob at? There he is, right there. You can, or uh, one of the groups may invite you. You're welcome to go to a meal at their place and and um, and. And just spend some time in God's Word talking about the lesson that we have this morning and really asking the question, what does this mean for me and what is, how is God working in my life right now to, uh, to implement these things? I want to share as well about something that happened last night that uh, some of the church here was involved with, something that was, it was really neat to, to see and observe and participate in it. So in Belgrade, we had the Festival of Lights last night downtown. You know, downtown, the metropolis of Belgrade, you know, the big, big city there. We had a festival of lights, and, and it is, um, I know it happened for years and didn't happen. It went back and forth, and last years it's picked up a lot of steam. And so there was, uh, some of the church got together and said, hey, let's have a booth and let's uh, just invite people to, uh, to come to assembly and uh, see how we can plant seeds there. And, and I'll give you just a, a little taste of what happened. We, we had popcorn and we had apple cider. And we just, uh, anyone who came uh, by, we just uh, offered it to them free of charge and said, you're, you're sure welcome to join us anytime. And one of the things that, that we didn't have was a sign. And I thought initially, oh man, you know, if we had a big sign there. But I realized what happened is that there's a lot of us, and probably you know, you know, many of us in this room, if we're walking down the street and there's a church sign there, we're going to go to the other side. And so what happened is people came over willingly excited about, hey, look at the popcorn and uh, apple cider, and I'm really excited about this. And then one of us would start talking to him and say, hey, we're a church group, we're just uh, um, we're offering this because uh, it's just our way of saying Merry Christmas and you're always welcome with us. And, and oftentimes they'd say, now where are you located at? And, oh, you're the, the church's got the sign there. That's great. Yeah, I, and they'll talk about some of those things. But I think we had some conversations with people that we, we may not have ever had. Um, but there was some neat things that came up. I know one young man I was, I was talking with, they had a family. I started, uh, uh, we were just talking about church, and he knew who I was because I had met him before. And, and he said, you know, I, you know, do you know Chris and Aaron Halbach? <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah, absolutely. He said, they're part of your church, and they've invited me several times, and I haven't, I may come sometime. I just may show up. I said, well, you're always welcome. And it's just neat that who knows how God is using all of us in different ways, wherever we may be, to share the abundant life of Jesus through our lifestyle and just sharing something very simply that you're always welcome with us. Who knows what type of things that, that come out of that? And who, who knows how lives are changed and eternity is changed and families are saved because of just, just examples like that. And I think that's, that's always neat. Um, and just a reminder for, for all of us that, that we can, whatever we're doing at any given time, we can share the abundant life of Jesus. And there's great things that, that come from that. And so I would like to, as we, we jump in, just offer up a prayer that uh, those conversations last night and the ones that we continue to have, all of us, wherever we are, 
that we, uh, we continue to share the abundant life of Jesus. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we're thankful for uh, the blessings you give us. Um, we're thankful for you know, the efforts last night that, that uh, a small group from the church here just uh, put forth of the Festival of Lights and the, the great conversations, spiritual conversations that were had. And hopefully needs are, are met, hearts are touched, can, uh, people are convicted to say, I, man, i got to do something spiritually. And these people are kind to me. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk down this road to, to see what, what this Jesus guy is all about. And I pray for all of us, wherever we are, whatever sphere of influence you've given us, I pray that, that we share that every day. Um, the things that we talk about and the things we don't talk about, the examples that we share and the courageous discussions that we have, the lives are touched and changed, and there continues to be uh, more and more people that you call to us. And help us to be the people that, that welcome others in excitedly and are excited about whatever, wherever people come from. They're, we're excited they're here, and we want people to hear your message. To become Christians, their lives are changed, and to live eternally in, in just a, a place of, and a context of, of wondrous beauty with you. And we pray all that. Help us never lose sight of those most important things, no matter what distractions we may have in life. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. I know that some, when I look back and I think back in life, some of, I've had some tremendous conversations at different times from people that sometimes were great spiritual leaders in my life and sometimes they weren't at all, but just conversations informally that were had that made a huge difference. I remember when I first arrived to Florence, Italy, there was a group of us that had gone there and had all stepped out in faith in some form or fashion to go and to teach English using Scripture for a few years after we had finished college and to, to figure out what was next in life. And there was, after I got there a few weeks later, there was uh, all the guys that were part of this program, we decided we were going to go on a camping trip. And so we drove up the road, we hiked up to this you know, open spot in the forest, and we didn't have a tent, but it wasn't forecast to rain, so we just made a fire and we just slept around uh, out in, in the open. And it was, it was just a, a great time up there. Uh, it was beautiful, and I remember this uh, Italian-style porcupine came in. It looked totally different than ours, but it wandered into camp, and what on earth is that? I've never seen anything like that before in my life. And uh, it just is a neat time, but what I remember most about that night is we sat around the fire, and all of us came from different states, different walks of life, and had different story of how we ended up around that campfire that night. But what I remember is that something all of us had in common was being in our early 20s and thinking, boy, God must want something from me. And I'm not sure what all this is, but we all ended up in this, this program teaching English, using the Bible to help people come to come to Christ. And it was conversations like that throughout my time there that helped me uh, decide that I was going to, to pursue a, a life of ministry, whatever that looked like, and to continue down that path because there were other people that were walking along beside me that encouraged me in that same way. I remember another conversation that I had, very informal conversation with a guy once, uh, that, that he just, as we were walking along, he, he said, Chris, one of the things that I Hey, I learned in life that I think it's pretty important, and, and take it or leave it for whatever this is worth, but just know yourself and learn to, be, to really know yourself and, and surround yourself with people that will, will help you know yourself. Because if you know yourself, 
then you know what you're, you're good at or what you've been gifted at and what you're not. And pursue those things that God has gifted you with. Because if you try to, to be something you're not... And he, he gave a story about a, a friend of his that he said, my friend was, was a mule. He was a great mule. And he was a phenomenal mule. As going through life, nothing fancy. He just plugged away and never gave up. But he said what his greatest regret in life when he got into his 60s, he said, I tried my best to be a racehorse, and I was never a racehorse. I would have been, and I missed out on so much joy in life, and the people around me missed out on so much joy in life because I tried to be a racehorse instead of a mule. It just That was the example he used. But his point was, just be really excited about how God has made you, and walk through life being the best you you can be, just knowing that there's great stuff that is going to come from that. And I remember that him sharing that just as we were walking along and Obviously, it had an impact on me because I remember it. I remember that discussion so well. Now, all of you probably have discussions that someone has had with you at some point in time that, that impacted you, that changed you. Because it wasn't something that was necessarily planned. It wasn't something that was official. It wasn't something that happened in a classroom. But it was something said at the right time that really made a difference. We're going to see Jesus walking down the road today having conversations with a small group of his disciples here. And these conversations are the, these teachings. As I, as I envision these happening, as Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, he's walking along, and he's looking at, he uses some illustrations and, and things that are around him to share these things. But he shares four essential teachings. And I think what may be going through Jesus' head at this point in time is he knows where he's going. He knows he's going to be executed. He knows he's going to raise. And he knows that his disciples are going to be left without him holding their hand and walking alongside them day in, day out. And so these are some things that he wants to share with them because they're important for his disciples to know and understand for the future. So let's start in chapter 17, verse 1. It says, and Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. I was uh, walking around hunting this fall, and I, I didn't put a picture up here of it, but I found something. I've always wanted to, something that was, uh, it was really neat. But I was, uh, I was stumbling along. Stumbling is the great term because... No animals around, and, and I was just kind of just enjoying the nice day, actually. And, and I step, and I look down, and there was a trap right in front of my foot. And it was already sprung, and it was bent up, and it was all rusted up. And it was an old trap that had been there a long, long time. And it had been nailed to the bottom of this tree. And you could tell that the trapper had, with a hatchet, had made a blaze there, had cut the bark away, nailed this trap to the tree, and then had, the bark had almost covered those nails. It had been there long enough. And I looked at that, and there was no tag on it. I thought, whoa, this is really cool. You know, this trap that is out there in the middle of nowhere, and I marked it on the GPS. I couldn't get it loose. I'm going to go back and get it is my plan when the snow leaves. But I remember looking at that thing and just thinking, wow, you know, that, I didn't see that at all. I about stepped on it. Fortunately, again, it was sprung and rusted shut and all that kind of thing. But I thought, man, that's something that was designed to catch something there that would walk along and put its foot into it and, and just get stuck. And Jesus is using that same terminology here. 
sin traps, these things that make us stumble, not things that make us grumble, like I'm not very happy that you did that and it makes, you know, I'm upset about that. That's different, okay? But things that cause people to stumble, cause people to sin is what he's speaking about here, is Jesus says sin traps abound. There's going to be traps all over the place that are going to cause people to sin, but don't be the one to cause them. You do not be the one that puts other people in a bad spot spiritually. Be very cautious about this and be very careful about this because from God's eyes, it's better to die a horrible death than to cause another to sin. And you can imagine Jesus' disciples as they're walking along here thinking, wait a minute here, that's a big deal. The upper millstone is the the part of the top part of a, a grinding millstone that would um, would sometimes be used by hand or sometimes be be pulled by oxen. But the point was is you put the grain on on the threshing floor, you put the millstone on top, and then you pull that millstone around and it turns wheat into what? Flour. Yeah, it turns wheat into flour, and that's how it's done. And so these millstones were heavy because the whole, the weight of them would would crush all that wheat below it. And so Jesus is saying, it is better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and go for a swim in the sea. How's that going to work out for you? Not very good. We go straight to the bottom. He said, it's better that that happen than for you to be one that causes other people to sin. When he talks about little ones, when he uses this term previously in Matthew, he's talking about Christians in general. Probably the case. Jesus' point here is these people were going to be ones that were going to be examples, the witnesses of who Jesus was and and what he taught and what he he did in life. And Jesus makes it real clear here, is you do not want to be the one that causes others to sin. Therefore, need to be very careful to watch yourself. Now, there's times where, and I've heard stories, and, and, and these stories come up, no, periodically, and I think it's, it's one of the saddest things that I ever hear, but uh, stories of, of someone who is, who is growing up in a Christian context and, and someone who is, uh, who is close to them, who is a Christian, introduced them to some sort of sinful behavior and got someone else into sinful behavior on purpose. And, and boy, you think about that. Think about, oh, what Jesus said here, this is bad. It's better to die a horrible death than to be someone who causes someone else to sin because we just decide that's what we want to do. Bad deal. I uh, think usually, now hopefully none of us you know, operate that way. and you think, man, I don't want to ever cause somebody to sin. I don't want to ever push somebody further away from God or, or cause some sort of addiction into, into their life. That's destructive. But there's sometimes we can do these type of things without realizing it, by accident or just by ignorance. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and Romans chapter 14, those sections of Scripture all talk about how do we handle disputable matters, things that we don't have a thus saith the Lord in Scripture, but, but can cause other people to sin. In the, in the case of those passages, it's talking about meat sacrificed to idols. Now, how many of you have eaten meat sacrificed to idols? Yeah, okay. Probably, probably not many of us have ever eaten meat sacrificed to idols. Now, we hear that concept and we think, ooh, yeah, I don't know what that is. That's, yeah, that's, a, that's a bizarre concept. But the idea was is that the meat that was sacrificed to idols could be sold in the marketplace at a premium, was cost more because it had the power of that idol in it. And so what was common is, is people that weren't Christians go to the marketplace and say, oh, that was... That was, uh, 
sacrificed Aphrodite, I want that meat right there because that's going to give me the power of Aphrodite in me. That's the idea. And so there is, for, for us who, for them, who had been Christians a while, understood that God made everything and everything was God's, is that meat any different than anybody any else, any other meat? No, because God created it. But if someone saw them eating that type of meat, then maybe they think, oh, wait a minute, that person claims to follow Christ, but they also follow Aphrodite, so I need to, that's okay for me to not be all in with Christ. I can follow whoever I want to because of that misunderstanding. And so the big message that comes in 1 Corinthians 8, 10, and 14 is just because you can does not mean you should. That's the message there. And as we grow and mature in Christ, we, we get away from this, this attitude of, hey, I'm going to do whatever I want. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. We go on to, what can I do in order to influence people in a way that's going to bring them closer to Christ? That's the mature perspective. And so I believe this is what Jesus is talking about to his disciples that are walking along with him here. You need to really watch yourselves and really watch what your examples are because if your example, whether you mean to or not, causes other people to run away from Christ... Watch out for the millstone, because God's judgment is quick and harsh when, that, when, when we, we walk through life just pushing people farther away from God because you know, we're not aware of our own sinfulness. We don't realize it. So that's Jesus' message here, something to consider, something to think about as he's walking along with his disciples. He continues on, and he says, If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. So Jesus gives teaching number two right here. It says, if your brother or sister sins, sins against you, sins, then your job is to go and tell everybody else about it. Right? Is that what he says? Brother or sister sins, then go talk to them directly. That is what's supposed to happen here. And, and so let's take a time out here because there's Matthew 18. Matthew gives us a little more details on how this is supposed to work out. Go ahead and turn there. Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Starting in verse 15. I'll read there. It says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So that's what's supposed to happen. If, if you've been sinned against or there's, there's a brother or sister sinning and you talk with them, they blow you off, then go with another couple of people. Talk about it. And if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen to the church, then treat, as, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. That's the message that Jesus gives right here, is that when there is sin in the camp, it's supposed to be dealt with, especially between people, and supposed to be dealt with one-on-one and quickly, is, is how uh, God, Jesus tells his disciples to do this. And um, go ahead and turn back to Luke chapter 17. And I'm going to read a, a passage to close us that tells us, it gives us an attitude of how we walk through that, but I'm not, I'm not going to get to that quite yet. But one of the things that I know some of you have, uh, the pre-marriage counseling program that I use, it's called Prepare and Enrich, and it is thousands and thousands of couples have gone through this. There's a lot of research behind it, and it's just a, it's a great profile to walk through 
uh, okay, what are, what, are, what are the obstacles that we'll have to go through as a couple? And, and there's had a lot of success with it. One of the things that I've learned that's been really, really beneficial from, from this particular profile is during one of the lessons, it tells us that um, the couples that report the highest level of happiness or contentment in their relationship are not the same couples that have the least amount of conflict. Now, let that soak in for a while. Because we as a people tend to be terrified of conflict, not know what to do with conflict. Conflict happens, ah, this is the end of the world, what am I supposed to do, sort of thing. But what happens when couples who have been married for a while, who have Christ in the center, learn how to walk through conflict, couples can have conflict on a regular basis and have a fair amount of conflict. But what happens is because there's a large amount of trust built up, there's a good communication skills built up, they're able to walk through lots of conflict very quickly because they learned how to do that. And that's what Jesus is trying to get across to us here, is that as people, as, as Christians, what I want you to be is a people of peace. That's all through Scripture. Read First and Second Corinthians. That's Jesus's, or Paul's point there as he's writing to that church there. I want you to be a people that learns to work together, to come together to be this, this wonderful community of peace. And, and it's doable, and it's workable if we do things God's way. And, and he, he shares it here. And so what happens is, I know that some of my best friends that I have on this earth, some of the people that I, I treasure the most, are some of the people that I have walked through life with conflict after conflict after conflict with, but we've built up so much trust because we walk through those things, and they can shoot straight with me and I can shoot straight with them because we understand that how, we've learned this. And, and there is a, there's one couple in particular that I'm thinking of that I, I hold just a very dear to my heart. I don't know how many times where, where the, the husband has come and said, Hey, Chris, this happened. What's going on? We talk about it. 30 seconds later, we're walking down the road and, and we've moved. You know, that's great. Because that trust has been built and, and that's how, how God is has designed us to be. And so here's, let's go back to what, what Jesus is saying here. So if your brother or sister sins against them, rebuke them. Okay, speak the truth in love is how this is supposed to work. And if your brother or sister repents, then forgive them once, twice, at least after the third time, forget about it, right? When repentance happens, continue to forgive. That's how... God's people are supposed to work. There's not a statue of limitations on this. There's not a, okay, we've got to, to seven, and seven is, is symbolic, the complete number, that you just keep being one that forgives. You just keep being one that, that's able to walk forward. And, and so if your brother or sister repents, then forgive them. Continue to walk through. Hey, one of the things that's important to note out here, and Jesus' message here, is repentance is important. If we turn to Titus chapter 3, go ahead and turn there. Titus chapter 3. There's something that Paul tells Titus here. I think it's good for, for me to remember, good for all of us to remember. Titus chapter 3, verse 9. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Okay, they can go on forever and ever and ever. Warn a divisive person once or someone that creates problems among brothers and sisters. Warn them once, warn them a second time, and after that have nothing to do with them. 
You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. Because that's part of what Jesus came to do, is to teach us how to love one another, how to live in a community of peace. And if we do the opposite, if our lifestyle creates conflict with the people around us on a regular basis, we are not being led by the Spirit. And so Jesus, or, or Paul to Titus, says, churches, you've got to be aware of this. Deal with it and, and make it clear. And so for us, that's so important for all of us to be a people that is full of repentance. People that's willing to, to say, sure, I repent. I'm ready to move on. Let's do this. And, and that is uh, essential to <laughs> one of these essential teachings of Jesus. Let's look at the next one. Well, let, before, before that, see what the apostles say? The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Are you serious? You, okay, there's... Not causing others to sin, I understand, but, but forgiving indefinitely when there's repentance. Ah, oh, man, I'm not... Oh, man, this is... I'm not sure. Can you increase our faith, Jesus? Tell us how on earth we're supposed to do something like this, because that's hard. This is difficult. You know, what happens if people start walking all over me? What happens if my family is dishonored and I need to defend their honor and I need to go fight for them? You know, whatever it may be, you know, in that, in that context at that time. But Jesus says continues on here when they say increase our faith and he says this starting in verse 6 he replied if you have faith as small as a mustard seed you can say to this mulberry tree be uprooted and planted into the sea and it will obey you so oftentimes when I've heard this verse quoted it's in the context of man God will do anything through faith through prayer and so if we pray then God's the answers that God provides are going to be amazing which is true, and there's several scriptures that talk about that, but that's not what Jesus is talking about right here. Jesus uses this analogy in, in light of what the apostles had just said, or the disciples had just said. Increase our faith. Wait a minute. This is, this is tough for us to get our hearts around. This is tough for us to get our minds around. And he shares, a mustard seed can uproot a powerful tree. Okay, how many of you believe that can happen? A little mustard seed can uproot a powerful tree. Hey, we know what a mustard seed is, a little tiny thing. Okay, we know that because we know where Jesus is going with this. But how many of you have ever seen a mustard seed uproot a mulberry tree, something that's powerful that goes down? Okay. Now, some of us may be thinking that this weekend coming up, if MSU Bobcats can take down North Dakota State, that might be a mustard seed uprooting a mulberry tree. Okay, I don't know. That's, Montana State is not favored, but I wouldn't want to tangle with them right now. Let's see what happens. But this is, this is not possible. This is the mustard seed is the great underdog. How is that possible? But Jesus' point here is with a little faith, powerful things can happen. Just a little faith. And I think he's trying to encourage them. Powerful things can happen. And you think about Jesus in all the miracles that he did. I believe it was easy for him to heal the sick, to heal the lepers, which we'll see here in just a second. It was easy for God to part the Red Sea, to create the world and all of that. But the thing that takes faith, and it seems like it's impossible, is what he said right beforehand, is learning to be one that's able to deal with their conflicts and forgive others and move on. That is a miracle. You, if you look through our society, you don't have to go very far to realize that our society is one of division right now. From, from politics to, to whatever it may be, you turn on the news and there's story after story of conflict, 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 division, 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 and that's what we're surrounded by. And so when we look at what Jesus says here, Jesus says, no, you can 
deal with problems, you can forgive, and you can live together in harmony. Maybe there's a lot of us that look at that and think, wow, that's impossible. Increase our faith. That would take a miracle. And Jesus says, it just takes a little bit of faith. It just takes a little bit of faith for you to walk through life and to see what God can do. Because he can do it. He can do great stuff. And he continues on, verse 7, Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down to eat. Won't he rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. So the message here that Jesus is, is finishing up as he's talking to his disciples here is that a servant does not expect special treatment just for simply doing his job. Hey, and this is a different... Con- it's kind of strange for us to think about because we tend to, to not think in terms of servant and slaves and that. But if you have a, a landowner that is there and he has a servant that comes in and just does his job... Is the servant going to receive special treatment because of that? Jesus says, no, you wouldn't expect a servant to receive special treatment from that. Just like we're not going to be in a situation where we can earn God's favor, that God is in our debt, that God is, is coming to our doorstep, saying, hey, please, we do. You know, we're missing the point here. What Jesus' point is, is make sure that you're not proud of all these religious accomplishments. You know, wouldn't that be a servant who said, well, look what I did. I went out in the field. Look what I did. I came back and I served my master. Wow, isn't that amazing? Come on, master. Thank me for all the stuff that I'm doing. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Don't walk through life like that. Don't be proud of your religious accomplishments, whatever those may be. And as he's talking to his disciples, I imagine that that temptation may have come at times. When they're speaking at Pentecost and there's people, there's 3,000 people would be baptized. Okay, if you were the one speaking and there were 3,000 people baptized that day, do you think there might be a little bit of temptation for it to go to your head just a little bit? Jesus is saying, don't be proud of your religious accomplishments. Some of those disciples were going to be speaking Jesus' words, and lives were going to be changed and touched. Some of them were going to be doing totally different things. Some of them were going to be Marys and Marthas in the situations. He says, don't be proud of what you're doing. Remember who you are is there is a God and you're not him. This is a phrase that's always helpful for me to think about. Because in these passages that Jesus, these four essential teachings that Jesus went through about causing people to stumble, because if we don't see ourselves as a servant of God, we don't care if we cause other people to stumble. We'll do whatever we want. This is my right, my freedom. I'm going to do my thing. But if we're a servant of God, we don't approach things that way. We say, what can I do in order to call others higher and be a blessing for them spiritually. If we um, real, if there's someone sinned against me, uh, then if I'm God of the situation, then I handle it any, how, any way that I choose to, thank you very much, and I'll go about things my way, and, and that's just what I'm going to do. But if I'm not God, then I learn to deal with it directly and uh, to, to forgive because I don't have a choice. That's what God has called me to do. I've shared this before. There's a lot of things that we may wrestle with on what's a, what's a, a salvation issue and what's not. And the scholars love to debate about that kind of stuff. But one thing is very clear from Scripture is that if we do not forgive others, we are not people of God. Clear. It's very clear from Scripture there. If we uh, believe that we 
or God, now we're not going to say that, but if we act like it, then, um, then we're going to go through life instead of having faith as small as a mustard seed, we're going to rely on our own abilities and talents and however we see uh, our, our own bravado instead of slowing down and allowing God to, to uh, and walk by faith. Um, if we see ourselves as God, then are we going to submit to the God of all creation and just humble ourselves and serve in his kingdom however we can in a given day? No. We're going to do our thing because ultimately that's my right. That's my freedom. But Jesus gives these four teachings here because they're very important for the spiritual well-being of his disciples, God's people, long-term. And so the big thing I thought about this week is... Look at this next passage. This passage, I wonder, why is it here? I don't know all of this. But maybe it's here as just an example to help us understand exactly what Jesus is talking about. Look at chapter 17, verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, they're standing at a long distance because they can't get close. The law said that they needed to keep a long distance away from people if they had these infectious skin diseases. And whenever they came into town, they had to say, unclean, unclean. They had to screen that out. And so people would give them a wide berth so this infection would not carry into other people. How would you like to live like that? Bad deal. Can't be around your family. And when he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And they went, and, and as they went, they were cleansed. Now the priests were the ones that pronounced people clean. And so you can imagine, as, as Jesus is walking along with his disciples, there's those lepers over there. And his disciples probably are nervous, thinking, Oh, gross. There's those people over there. And Jesus says, Hey, go show yourselves to the priests. And he continues on. And they run off. And they're cleansed as they go along the way, is what Scripture says here. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. That seems like an appropriate response, doesn't it? If someone just gave your health back like that, you would go and thank them. And you notice something about him? That he was a Samaritan. So it's amazing how this sickness created strange bedfellows because the Jews didn't associate with Samaritans to a large extent. But when you've got a bunch of sick people running around together, any company's better than no company. And you have this Samaritan running around there, and Jesus honors him and says, Hey, this guy came back, and this guy thanked me. And Jesus said, We're not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. He was already cleansed of his disease, his physical disease. And so I wonder if he's talking spiritually. Rise and go, your faith has made you well, like Jesus did many, many other times and provided spiritual healing here. But you look at this guy, and he's a great example for all of us, isn't he? As one who showed us what God really wants from us. He wants us to walk by faith, live by faith. And he wants us to be people that are full of thanksgiving. That's, uh, we talked about that a few weeks ago during the, right after the Thanksgiving holiday, that Thanksgiving is a powerful tool that helps us battle apathy, negativity, all those type of things that, that can consume our lives. 
is looking around and being thankful for who we are, what we've been given, not the stuff so much as, as the status of who we are in Christ. And this is the type of thing that God is looking for. And so the big question for us, again, is, just like the disciples, increase our faith. How on earth, how, how, no, really seriously, Jesus, how on earth, really, how on earth do we live this way? How on earth do we walk through life this way? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. And the, the scripture reading here started us off here just a minute ago. And this is a passage I spend quite a bit of time in. Um, in Ephesians chapter 4, go ahead and turn your Bibles there. And I'll read the first few verses. It says, As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So be live according to the, the, the worthy status that you've been given. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So do whatever you can to promote unity. That's your job, is, is to be one who is, um, who is promoting unity, because that's how the Spirit of God works. And he goes on and he talks about, Paul talks about, some, he's given some to be apostles, teachers, and he goes through all these different giftednesses of people that, that work together in the church to make the church something amazing and beautiful. In verse 14, we'll skip down to there, he says, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Okay, that's what happens when we're immature spiritually, is there's getting thrown back and forth by all of this teaching, that teaching, whatever it may be. Oh man, there's drama here. Ah! No, there's just these waves back and forth all the way around. But this is what happens. This is what Paul wants for the Ephesians in verse 15. Instead... Speaking the truth in love. I want you Ephesians to learn how to speak the truth in a loving way to each other. That's what rebuking is supposed to be about, speaking the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. When we learn to do that, we learn to look like the God that we follow. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so as individuals and as communities of Christ, churches, maturity comes when we learn to walk together through whatever the situation may be. That's what scripture talks about here. And Jesus must have thought this was really important because as he was walking down the road, he shared these concepts with his disciples, how important it was. And I hope... Today, these four essential concepts that we walk through are important uh, and touched your heart like they touched mine. I pray that all of us can look more like what Jesus wants us to be this week. And if you would like to become a Christian, you haven't made that decision, you're welcome to head to the back. You're welcome to be baptized today, go from darkness to light, have sins forgiven, and enter into the kingdom of God. You can do that today. If you have any other prayer request, you're welcome to go to the back, and the elders are happy to pray alongside you as you walk through life. Let's stand and sing together.